This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Damon Dunphy. Now we're into the second week of the Rugby World Cup. It's a fascinating tournament. It's going to be long. I think it ends on October the 28th. Ireland are the number one ranked team in the world. But this is real big time stuff and we will be tested. And the first big test is coming up against South Africa, who are the defending champions. And that's on Saturday. But to look back at the weekend, we're joined now by Matt Williams. Matt is an Australian born Rugby coach. He is an analyst of immense standing and highly respected. He's working for Virgin Media. He's worked for RT in the past. And he has been director of rugby and head coach of the New South Wales Waratahs in Super Rugby, as well as head coach in Leinster at Ulster. And indeed, he's coached in France, where he lives now. And he also was the defensive coach for Ireland in 2001. Welcome, Matt. It's great to have you to guide us through this fantastic competition. And as I pointed out, you were born in Australia. Have you applied for a passport somewhere else after? I must ask you about the Wallabies losing on Saturday to a team they shouldn't have lost to. Explain what happened. Uh, I mean, you did uh, mark our card last week a little bit. By I did. Yeah, uh, uh, being the uh, token Australian, uh, even though I do carry an Irish passport, I remain the token Australian. I've had to field all the questions <laughs> about the Wallabies, which uh, I mean, I'm going to be really honest. The overwhelming feeling um, I have is just sadness. Yeah, um, it's just sad to see um, the, the the gold jersey that we. You know, I grew up with cherishing and dreaming of and and respecting and and then being fortunate enough to coach and play through an era where we were world champions twice and made finals on other occasions. And I was produced by this fantastic system. And 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 yes, you, you know yourself, I mean, when you, you when you're a player and a young guy, you don't understand that. 
Yeah. It's only looking back you realise, wow, there was so much wisdom and knowledge and I, I was so fortunate to to meet those people and be educated by them and to learn off them and to be around them and observe them. And then after Australia made the final of the World Cup in 2003 that England won and it was in Australia, there was 30 million bucks in the bank, Australian dollars, they were riding high, they were doing everything. And Eamon, a fish smells from the head yep. and successive administrations were arrogant, um, wouldn't listen to uh, the technical people, wouldn't listen to the heartland and not one, it's not like there's been one administration, this is successive administrations over two decades have really decimated the game. Like it's self-destruction. We can't blame anyone else. Yes. It is self-destruction. And that culminated on on uh, the match yesterday and that was the but worst F- of Fiji. Against Fiji, yeah. And, and all credit to the Fijians. And I certainly do not want to in any way um, talk down the Fijian performance at this World Cup or their performance yesterday or against Wales. They've been quite magnificent and they deserve all the credit they get and uh, more power to them. Eddie Jones is the present coach. He is Australian, but he coached England very successfully for some time. He's an abrasive character, but then an awful lot of Australians are known for being abrasive. And there was an unfortunate headline in the the newspaper I won't mention because you're working for them and do work for them as an analyst and a columnist that he was working the article. It didn't work. No, no. Look, look. Although he was drafted in very late, so you can't blame him. The, The larger point you're making is true of Irish soccer at the moment, for example, and as you say correctly, when there's something shocking like this, you can usually trace it to, you know, deeper reasons, for deeper reasons. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Now, I've got a lot of respect for Eddie. I coached against him. Uh, when, when I was at the Waratahs, he was at the Brumbies in Canberra. Eddie then coached the Wallabies. He got them to the final of the 2003 World Cup. He got England to the final of the 2019 World Cup, and he was assistant coach to South Africa when they won the World Cup in France in 2007. So he, right. he knows his stuff. Now, he, he's made some errors here. Um, there was one of our the Wallabies. Th- this is a very young group, and his plan is, well, I'll take this group to this World Cup and get them all blooded, knowing that we are, Australia has the World Cup in Australia at, in four years' time. Now, right. there is, there's a deep flaw in that, that he left out two or three incredibly experienced players um, one of them was Michael Hooper, who'd been one of our greatest players for, for uh, many, many years, wonderful young man, leader, captain, and he's coming to the end of his career. There's no two ways about it. But his leadership on Saturday would have just been absolutely vital. The Wallabies could have won that game, but they were rudderless. Will Skelton, the current captain, pulled out. Will only captain the side twice so that there is no experience in this team, and I felt for them. They were a young bunch of guys put together without a lot of um, time together because they sacked the last coach after Ireland beat Australia last November, a very nice guy called Dave Rennie who was a New Zealander, very humble, very respectful guy, was sacked. And I felt really wrong six months or ten months before the World Cup. And that was madness. They then brought Eddie in because Eddie has a super high profile in Australia. He's on the front page of everything. He's talking it up. He's got a 
you know, he really handles the media well. He's like a politician. He, he, he has a message and he gets that message out. He's got a bit of comedy about him, that real sarcasm, Australian, Australian yeah. sarcasm. <laughs> and he was on the front page and that's what they wanted. They wanted rugby back on the front page because the game had dropped to such disastrous levels compared to rugby league and rugby, uh, sorry, Australian rules that are at the, the huge winter sports in Australia and rugby is dwarfed by them. But they, they tend to be domestic sports and the in, people might like rugby, but they love the Wallabies. So they'll follow the Wallabies. And he got them up there, but he promised the world and these poor kids, I think they're going to get knocked. They, they could very well be knocked out next Saturday, next uh, Sunday when they play Wales. So it's a, it's a disaster in the long term and a pretty much a disaster in the short term. And it's not only that aim, but it's, it's, it's away from our great traditions. Australia, we're always a creative team, always a team that we, we might have had the best players. We certainly didn't have the depth. But, gee, we could outthink other teams. We had great tactics and we produced great, greatly skillful players. Yeah. So we've, we've got a system failure and also – and that, that's also stopped producing coaches. So it yeah. is – we just got no one in that interim that understands it, a loss of intergenerational knowledge. Like on every front yesterday, I mean, I, I was just uh, deeply sad. Now, Wales had a, a really terrible result. They won all right. They're playing Portugal. They did. Portugal coached by the great Patrick Largescay, the, the Bayon Flyer, um, coached, coached Bay Ritz for many years, won European Cups with them, should have been coach of France and was overlooked wrongly in my opinion. And Patrice has gone down to Portugal and has, to his great credit, created a wonderful little team that were brave beyond words, played exciting rugby, took huge risks and really pushed Wales really, really hard for, for the full 80 minutes, which was probably a good thing for the Welsh. They, they, no one needs a 60-0 job. That doesn't do the losers or the winners any good. It was a really entertaining game of rugby. The minnows were swimming with the sharks and matched them. They were very, very good, I mean, Just for a few yes. key errors, they could have caused an upset. But, um, you know, who would have thought? Wales are in about the same depth of, of mud and mire on a global stage uh, in rugby in their country as Australia are. Their union is in crisis. Their, their uh, domestic teams are in crisis. The club game's in crisis, financial crisis, cultural crisis. And, but yet, having done all that, they've won two games where, and beat Fiji wrongly. They should have lost to Fiji, but somehow they hung in there where Australia hasn't. So Wales are on top of that pool. And, and if you had have offered that as money before the, uh, Two weeks ago, we think you would have lost your money or no one would have taken your money, but that's where they are. And Fuji are second with all played, played the two hard teams, Wales and Australia, with the relatively easier teams to play and Australia and Wales play next week, knowing that everyone knows that Australia has to play Portugal, who really have been a big surprise package at this tournament along with Fuji. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, the big nations and, I mean, New Zealand and France have already met in the opening match of the tournament and the other two big nations, Ireland and South Africa, play this weekend in Paris, Stade de France. It should be magnificent and we're all looking forward to it. In a piece you wrote for the Irish Times on Saturday, you mentioned in passing Joe McCarthy. Yes. And he is a young Irish guy is a giant. You you describe him as a giant, one hundred and twenty kilo, tight head, and you talk about him maybe having a contribution to make to the Irish team. So let me ask you about the Irish performance against Tonga. I watched it. The Tongans were and they are no pushover. Their heart is in it. They're big man. Was that a good workout? And we must mention that Johnny Sexton became the highest-scoring Irish man of all time, just passing Ronan O'Gara, which I think one of your colleagues on Virgin Media said would make everyone in Ireland very happy with the possible exception of Ronan O'Gara. <laughs> so how good was the Irish performance? I love Sexton. I love O'Gara too. I think they're two great, great players, as great as you'd ever get in sport. And off the field as well, I like them and respect them. How good was the performance? And what about Joe McCarthy? Two great questions, Eamon. The performance of the Irish team was clinical. Um, it was highly intelligent. So a lot of those tries you scored, Sexton's try that broke the record, were plays were special plays designed for that match. Yes. This is what Ireland has done really well, um, probably since Joe Schmidt was in charge, where they've looked at the the um, video of the opposition and they've spotted a weakness and then they've designed a play to exploit that weakness. Yes. And it's one thing to do it with X's and Y's on a whiteboard, but then to do it in the heat of battle um, uh, at the most pressurised moment and to execute it brilliantly like Ireland did just speaks so highly of it. Um, 
the fact that they scored by that number of points, Eamon, against any international team, you've done an exceptionally good job. And we have to put in that unlike France and New Zealand that had a really major game in their first game of the tournament, and unlike South Africa who played Scotland in their first game, so that was a major game for them, Ireland have had um, have had to wait until next weekend for their first major game. Yes. So they're, just, they're building nicely. Is that a good thing or not? Or does that remain to be seen? It depends how you use the time. It depends how you use the two relatively easy games. I'm not saying there, easy ge- there are any easy games in the World Cup. We don't know, I guess, if that was a good thing. But it seems that you can work your way into the tournament, you get a feel for things, you can get the fitness and the competitive fitness, which is a very different thing from actual fitness in the training ground. Yeah, exactly, Eamon. Uh, and I think, like I always say, I always believe when I was coaching, everyone would talk about a draw. I say, well, that's completely out of your hands. Like that's that, that's the rugby gods. Yeah. that They've told us this is what we've got to do. So let's design our program to fit into that. And I think Ireland have done that. So they, they had a really good um, off-season across the summer. They gave the guys plenty of time off. They had a lot of fun in camp. There was lots of saying how much the guys were enjoying it. And then they've given everyone some games and they built up very, very nicely to the first major game. So I'll, I'll put a caveat on that, that I was really disappointed with Tonga. I mean, like they're big, we've, we're expecting a lot, lot more from Tonga. Right. We thought this would be a really hard game. I thought if Ireland come out of this, you know, if it's 25-18, that's a good win. And really they didn't fire a shot and it was in particular with a score like 50 points, it was their defence that was really poor. Yeah, I, I was. They were porous, and I I was surprised at that. Very surprised, and a little bit disappointed, to be honest. Could it be argued that they were they were beaten by a very good team, brilliantly led by Sexton? I mean, his presence on the field, his clear direction, tempo setting. He has all the hallmarks of a great footballer in any sport, in soccer, in particular, in in even in Gaelic games. There are special players who set the tempo, the mood, and know what to do at any given moment in any given game. Oh, without doubt, I mean, and it was it was best expressed when he came off after the first game against Romania, where they won by eighty, and they, you know, there was a not a bland question. I'm not criticising the interviewers, but it was an open-ended question. You know, what did you think, basically? And the first thing he said was, oh, I have to go and have a look at my own game and make sure I pick up some pieces. And he was self-critical straight away yeah. after winning by 80 points. Yeah. And that he, he set standards and demands standards from everyone in the organisation. And if someone is not living up to those standards and talks, they're a hypocrite. But when you're setting those standards and you're demanding it from others, the players around you rise. They yeah. lift. They, they're inspired by you. They don't want to let you down. And Sexton is that character, um, and and he, he there's no doubt, even at the ripe old age of 38, he's he's probably delivered the best performances as a number ten at the tournament above every other player, right. including Richie Moonga from the from New Zealand. Like he, he has been outstanding, and the fact that he scored that try on Saturday to break the record was was a good karma because he deserves it. But but Eamon, to come back to your original question. That team that is—it's a very set side. There's only one 
or two players to come back in to that time, my my opinion, and that would be at scrum half. I, I think that we'll see Jamison Gibson Park come back in to the scrum half and Connor Murray go back to the bench. Now, you asked me about Joe McCarthy. Yes. 120 kilos. He's a tight head second rower. So that means he is packing on to Todd Furlong's backside in the scrums. And what South Africa, why he may make the bench, in my opinion, and a lot of other people don't agree with me, but I think he might make the bench against South Africa because in the last 20 minutes of that game, Finley Beelham is injured, our tight head prop. We have another guy, Tim Tom O'Toole, to come into that position. We're going to need every bit of strength and power we can get because that's when the Africans come after you in the last 20 minutes. So he is a very big dude. He did very well against the Romanians. He, he's put his name up there. However, that team, that 23, looks pretty set. Now, he, he, um, the, the, uh, the coaching staff has, have shocked us a few times. They've tweaked one or two things. But the, that side, generally as we see it, I think will go out with maybe two changes to that 23. Roland Kelleher is a player who's had appalling injuries, hasn't he? He's, yeah. had, he's had his career. He's a hooker. He's had his career really badly interfered with by injuries, but he's he's back and fit. Good player. When he first came on the scene, uh, and one of my old players from Leinster texted me and said, "Matt, you got to look at this kid. He's he's got everything." And uh, we, we I watched him closely, and I agreed. And he was playing super rugby. And then another guy from the he said, "There's a kid called Dan Sheehan. Is even better." And I said, okay. like, "He can't yeah. be." Can't yeah. be. And, and sure enough, Sean is just an extraordinary player. So Ireland are blessed, like right. really blessed with two of the best hookers in the world. And again, Eamon, I, I, I've said to you before, how is – and they're both coming out of Leinster, both coming out of that school system. How right. that, that, that system is producing so many world-class rugby players is quite astounding. And yes. Sheen and Kelleher are the ones. I think Kelleher would have held his spot if not – for the injuries, as you said, he sustained, yeah. and that gave Kel- uh, Dan Sheen the opportunity to step in and show his wares. But but Kelleher played exceptionally well the other day, and I was really pleased for him. I think he will if he will either start and Sheen will be on the bench or vice versa. Sheen hasn't played since he sustained an injury in the warm-up games, so they may very well start Kelleher and bring Sheen on later. Right. Now, let me ask you about the tournament overall. Now, it seems... New Zealand have taken, you know, a hit since the opening match against France and they seem, you know, not to be anything like the New Zealand of legend and of fact. Is it a three-nation tournament at this stage? In other words, Ireland beats South Africa, will play New Zealand, happy days. Or is that a gross oversimplification? <laughs> Um, and th- I don't mind you telling me that it's a gross oversimplification because I have a feeling it probably is, But because New Zealand have some injured players they might bring back. I just think any New Zealand side, well, I'm, I'm, let's let's take a step back. Yeah, I shouldn't as you, as you know, jump in the gun here and assuming we'll beat South Africa. Yeah, well, well, once you get out of the pools and you go into the knockout stages, it's a new competition. Right. So the trick is to make the knockouts. Yeah, and unless you're France, there's no home advantage. Everyone's neutral. Everyone's away. So the so really, when you get to that quarterfinal stage, it's a it's a very even competition. 
And I don't need to remind your listeners that Ireland have never progressed past the quarters. They've yeah. either haven't made it or have lost every quarterfinal yes. in the nine World Cups. So we've got, to, we've got to tread with not trepidation, but we want to make sure we're treading carefully. And it, in my opinion, there is no easy New Zealand side. Right. There is no such animal and... As far as I can see. We've got to play Scotland as well. And that's, yes, of course, it would be silly to take that for granted in any way, shape, or form. And especially, I mean, if, we, if Ireland lose to South Africa, the pressure that will be heaped on the team yep. to win that game, and we all know that pressure inhibits performance, that, that, that becomes a very, very dangerous game for, for Ireland. A win against South Africa that changes the dynamics completely. So let's let's wait. But I, I do think Ireland will make the quarters. Let's say they win. I, I, and and your question is not silly because I would much prefer to play New Zealand than I would prefer to play France in France. Right. There is there is no doubt about that. So beating South Africa is very important for Ireland's progression. It, it, New Zealand on every matrix, Ireland beat them five the last eight times. France just beat them. They are. Still, an incredibly strong team, and yes. Ireland will have to be at their best. But they, in my opinion, they are preferable than France by by a small degree. Right. Just let me ask you finally, Matt, about the refereeing. Refereeing is hugely important, isn't it, in rugby? Yeah. Or it seems to me to be. I mean, referees in soccer tend to be clownish, and the whole system is designed for, you know, chaos. But in in rugby. The interpretations that referees can make, do they vary significantly? And in that respect, is, has anything emerged, if you like? Usually in the big soccer tournaments, for example, they decide beforehand, the referees and the Blazers, there's something we need to clamp down on here or whatever. Is there anything in this tournament that has been unusual or in any way controversial in terms of refereeing? Short answer is yes, Eamon. Officiating in rugby has been a huge problem for 20 years. We have far too many laws. We have a legislature, people that make the laws that seem to be in a worse state than the American Congress and Senate. Mm -hmm. They can't make a decision. They don't make decisions. And any decision they make is minor. So we have this law book that is inches thick that needs hundreds of laws thrown away and rethought. And, of course, that needs reform, it needs bravery, it needs statesmanship, not pol- not politicians, and the statesmanship in our sport is a very rare commodity. Yeah. Um, the biggest one that's hit our game, and I think is hitting every sport to a lesser degree, is is the concussions. And so yes. they've tried to – They've and I, I completely support this. They've been very strong on any any shoulder contact or head-to-head contact uh, is is – dealt with very strongly. So in our game, you can just be penalised and say it was an accident, it's nothing. It's a yellow card. It's if a minor a minor category or there's some mitigating circumstances or very bad, there's a red card. Yes. And we have, we're having like three or four occasions where it looks very, very similar and we're getting very different outcomes. Yes. Yeah, I saw the red card in the first game, I think, and I thought yes. it was crazy. It was a yellow and then they have eight minutes to decide whether it should be upgraded to a red. And in this instance, it was, and I didn't think it was. And now I'm not a, a judge of rugby, but it just didn't seem 
and, and some weren't. Now, I'm, I'm a big supporter of that that process you just said. So before this, Eamon, we would stop games, a referee would watch 600 replays of someone's head getting hit with a shoulder. And it's not a great look. It's no. awful for the families. It's awful for everyone. And it just we're just standing around for five minutes while the referees make decisions. What they've done here is said, look, it's definitely a yellow card, so you're going off, and we're letting the TMO, the television uh, monitor official, to decide if that's a red, if you come back on or go off. And so it's dealt with really quickly and the game moves on. The, the player, the offending player is off the field like they would be for a yellow card, which is a 10-minute suspension, and then the official looks at it and says, yes, that's bad, you're off for the rest of the game, or no, you go back on after 10 minutes. I like that because it speeds the game up. The referees themselves hate it because they lose control. The first, the first line of our law book says the referees are the sole judge of fact and law, and therefore you have a dictatorship. And I do not like that when we have the technology to change it, especially on these uh, um, concussion laws and head injury laws. It, it is it is so difficult because red cards in our game, Eamon, were only used, like for 100 years it was only about three of them. They were used for outrageous foul plays. In other words, yes. you had to go and punch someone and yes. start a fight or kick yep. someone. So you, no one was ever red card. Or, or that they were, yes. you know, but I'm saying it was highly, highly unusual. Now with with we're trying to protect the guys and I understand that and I support that, there are so many red cards and the red card cha- usually changes a game. Right. Usually changes a game. So the and they so they what they're trying to do is get this right. And in the opening, let's give them a little bit of time, but in the opening weeks, they haven't got it right. There's they've some have been right, but the variation and trying to get some sort of consistency across all the games, which is really difficult. I'll, it's a officiating is a difficult business, but they haven't got it right. So I just I just and and therefore Jesse Creel, the South African outside centre, came up and hit um, a guy called Dempsey, the number eight from South Africa, and he didn't even get penalised. Whereas uh, Tom Curry from from uh, England made contact with an Argentinian player who was jumping for the ball and he got a red card. So you got nothing, not even a penalty to a red card on something that looked almost identical. And that's what the punters and the coaches and all of us go, well, hang on a minute, where's the consistency there? Right. Okay, Matt, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you on education indeed. Matt Williams is steeped in knowledge and experience of this game of rugby and he is working for Virgin Media, which I have to say is doing a really, really outstanding job and really the place to watch it for just obvious reasons. But the quality of the analysis is superb. The anchor man is very good and it's a pleasure. So we're going to talk to you later in the week about the South Africa game, Matt, and we're very grateful to you for joining us today. Thank you very much indeed. We're grateful to Matt Williams, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon and we'll talk about South Africa. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.